Today's episode is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Brew Bar. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast, the Karate Kid Edition. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. With me today, your friend and mine, Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Tom, we got the Karate Kid Part 2 today. What do you got for us? Honk. <laughs> The arc of this movie is, is that. that sound. <laughs> <laughs> this movie bends on an arc that begins and starts with honk. Oh, that doesn't make me uh, gleeful with the prospects of defending this movie. Uh, well, I, I, I gotta say, uh, at least one of those scenes is certainly my favorite in the movie. <laughs> I'm gonna guess it's the beginning one. Yep. yeah this this movie is over at five minutes in ladies and gentlemen of course today we are talking about the 1986 sequel the karate kid part two a sequel to the smash hit 1984's karate kid both movies directed by john g avildsen of the rocky balboa fame Rocky, Rocky Five, lean on me as well, Tom. If you insist. <laughs> All I'm saying is this man can make good movies. Uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, you know, I. <laughs> Sequels, not his thing. I have a, <laughs> yeah. Well, we 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 covered this somewhat in the in the uh, in our ranking episode, but uh, at least we're sport. I'll I'll refine my position. At least we're sports sequels. Are concerned, uh, John G. Avildsen only has a couple of moves mm-hmm. that that uh, and and they all end up turning out the same. Um, this movie begins in the showers. As that's as my does, first note. As does Rocky Five? So he's obviously yeah. his sense of like how you start a sports sequel is you you immediately get the person who's just won the won the tournament and followed them into the shower, which is a little bit creepy. <laughs> I, 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 one of my first notes is I'm wary of a 50 year old man just sitting outside of the showers <laughs> in which there's like a dozen 15 year old boys. That's not good. And then he, then, you know, if anyone asked why we were doing this, his answer would be, oh, I do this at the beginning of every sequel. <laughs> Which is not going to comfort anyone. No. Wow. All right, so let's get into it. Tom yeah. inexplicably <laughs> ranks these movies three the best, two, then four. Yeah. I say two is the best of the sequels, then three and four. Yeah. Tom was very interested to see how I will defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. I do at least declare this a bad movie. It's you bad. Do, yeah. All three of these movies are bad sequels this is and least, bad movies. Least worst. This is least worst. And I was surprised by that. Yeah. I remember thinking, of course, you know, when you're a kid, you go see a movie. I was like, that was a pretty good sequel. Right. I like that. So I remembered it as a good movie, and as I'm watching it, I, I kept, like, at a certain point, early on, I thought, oh, man, not good. Well, this movie's not good. But I will, as my opening salvo, mm-hmm. Mr. Tom Stewart, I will tell you that this movie has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, as opposed to number three, which has a 15%, which means most of America's Critics are on my side. This movie, on a budget of $13 million, made $115 million. And with essentially the same budget, 
Karate Kid Part 3 made $38.9 million. Mm. So not only did audiences agree with me, but so did critics. The floor is yours. Well, <laughs> it, start, it, it starts in a very promising way. Uh, we pick up, uh, well, in the shower. So you didn't mind, you didn't no. mind the, the going back to the original Karate Kid? Karate Kid scenes? Well, I mean, this is my problem with, I think... It bothered me the least in this movie, I'll say that. They pick up, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, this movie famously, I think, is one of the examples that people yeah. cite when they talk about um, picking up a sequel that picks up directly after the, right the original it, ends. Like, yeah. it's it's so close, it's... it's Halloween 2 style. It's so continuous that we apparently have to begin in the showers. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Uh, the biggest problem with this scene, because I like everything that happens in this scene. There's a there's a kind of rumble in the parking lot between, um, well, between both the masters and the students. Uh, first of all, it's it's a, it's it's John Kreese turning on his own student, and then it's Miyagi and Kreese fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, I mean, if you've just seen the Karate Kid, that's exactly what you want to happen next. And so it must be exciting that it's happening so soon. But the big problem with all of this is it's just a complete bait and switch. Because as soon as this is over, we have a, a, a text on screen that says six months later. Right. So that everything that we've just seen is rendered virtually meaningless. There was no reason well, to Well, and my begin. understanding... There was no reason to, to have this scene in the movie... Uh, Except to give the legacy characters something to do before they disappear from the movie forever. And to set up the next sequel, I suppose, which you love. (laughs) But my understanding is they really wanted to shoot this scene for the first movie, Mm. which would have been disastrous because you want to end that movie on the high exactly as they did with him, (laughs) you know, with the karate kid, you know, hoisting his trophy as Miyagi looks on with with great pride and the uh, soaring music. That's how I, you end I, that I, movie. I disagree. I think I think it should have ended with uh, Miyagi tweaking John Kreese's nose and saying honk. <laughs> it could it would have been a good post credit sequence. You got to give me that. Okay, I, I would have gone along with that. If it was at the end of the credits, I'm all for it. Everyone's leaving, but, leaving the theater. They look back. They see, oh, there's more. There's more. Honk. Yeah. And it's like, But oh. my favorite part of that entire scene is after the honking, they're walking back to their car and Ralph, Ralph Macchio says, you could have killed him, huh? And he says, I... And he says, why didn't you? Because <laughs> it's murder. What are you talking about? Why did I not murder him? Well, that's, as you say, that sets up uh, Daniel's portrayal of, of Miyagi in part three. Yes. Because if, he, if he's got that on his mind, then, you know, Terry Silver can really get in there and, and manipulate him. Oh, man. He's better off with Silver anyway. <laughs> Miyagi's just going to make him build a house for him or something. <laughs> yeah, you're taking this this uh, child labor thing well, very, seriously. I mean, very soon after the time, time lapse, there's a really important moment that the film kind of glosses over um, where Miyagi sort of says, okay, Daniel, here's a, here's a new lesson for you. You need to build this, I don't know what it is, like an outdoor structure. Yeah, it's a You good. need to help me build it's gonna be a guest room this guest room and he says like it's interesting how every lesson involves me doing a piece of work for you and i'm like yes yeah this is this is the problem with these movies (laughs) is that daniel is miyagi's main source of unpaid labor and he's exploits he's exploits that through the entire sequels this is a different time, Tom. This is where young people were expected what is, <laughs> to... What is wax on, wax off, but, you know, child labor? I'll tell you what it is. It's blocking a kick. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't need to get him to wash his car to teach him that lesson. He could just say, hey, block the It kick. provides the, the repetitive motion that you need as well as strengthening your arms. It's for, training. For work that I'm going to give you and not pay you for. Right. <laughs> your payment is your knowledge and your training, your ability to not get hit. 
<laughs> that he then immediately forgets. I mean, yeah, he really needs it in those three minutes of karate in this movie. <laughs> and that's generous to say three minutes. Probably more like one and a half. <laughs> I forgot to mention in that opening scene, by the way, I, I, uh, I have a note here that says, man, Martin Cove is pretty extra. He's got a turtleneck and, and a jacket with the collar turned up. It's all tan. <laughs> well, he, you know, he has to look special because it's his only scene in the movie. But also, he gets a, he, he gets a credit in the title. Yeah, I know. That I've never seen before. Returning at Martin Cove, returning as John Kreese. Right. Or Kreese, one of those. Um, I was thinking, like, and then, you know, in, in the in the credits, uh, it's that the Cobra Kai students are listed as returning as the Cobras, which makes it sound far more exciting than, than what actually happened in that scene. <laughs> yeah. But um, you want a dance number. Yeah, it feels kind of oddly contractual. Like, I don't know. It's like, it, it's it's sort of. It's kind of writing into the credits almost that that these characters don't need to be in this movie, but we're bringing them back because they were in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know if they insisted on that credit. It sounds like it. <laughs> the other thing, it, the other thing before we you know that we got we've got this beginning scene and then we've got the child labor, but yeah. there's the real real important uh, narrative. That's just, and it happens in all the movies. <laughs> is it's just thrown in there very quick uh, that his girlfriend's gone. <laughs> I've never seen a boy who moves on more quickly, based solely on the the script that says he must. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like when when a woman leaves Daniel's life, man, she's gone for fucking ever. <laughs> yeah. As soon as, as soon, <laughs> it's true, and I mean, he. Well, I, let let's face it. So his the two women in the sequels that he that he's dating. One lives in Okinawa, so there's obviously you can anticipate some trouble there. The other is in Los Angeles, but she's actually from Columbus, Ohio. Well, I'll tell so, you the other problem that she's what? actually 16 years old and he's like a 28-year-old man. <laughs> so, yes. in, in real life, and so it was Ralph Macchio himself that said, I think we should just be friends. Let's put that in the script. So, yeah, so... so just Sorry, we're jumping put, ahead to, no, you know, no, 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 number three, though. No, no, we're not jumping at all. It's exactly where we are. We've, we've, uh, Miyagi continues his uh, child labor exploitation and <laughs> Daniel's coming back from the from the prom yes that's in this movie right correct and that's and he garbles something about how that actress is not going to be in the movie after wrecking his car right (laughs) (laughs) which is Uh, which is a bold move and then to give Allie 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 wrecks his car and then says by the way I've fallen in love with a football player (laughs) right and there's a similar kind of this in a similar way, Daniel's mother, who doesn't even appear in this movie, not even, um, you know, not even Die Hard uh, Al style on the phone as she does in the next movie. Um, and then, again, they come up with some bullshit reason why she's not around. She gets a job in Fresno. Is that what happens? It's all flooding back to me now. She gets a job. Um... She's like, oh, she's got a job in Fresno. Yeah, I'm so, getting them confused because in one of them the uncle is sick. That's the next one. Okay. The next one is the sneezing, the sneezing uncle in the background. Yeah, which you yeah. like. Um, <laughs> I don't like. That's, so for, there's a number of kind of absurd reasons why Daniel is not living with his mother and is now ro- rooming with right. uh, with Miyagi. As all, and all this is set up uh, in this. And we also, you know, it's six months later as opposed to two years later. So, uh, but, you know, on the plus side, Miyagi finally catches that fly. Yes. That has eluded him for so many years. Uh, Seems like, I mean, that's, in the early part of this movie, I think we're just trying to pay off things we set up in the first movie. But in a way that is extremely unsatisfying 
It, it shoots its load very early on. I mean, in Rocky V, John G. Avildsen's kind of denouement is based around a street rumble. Here we get it in the first two minutes of the movie. <laughs> right? So everything Avildsen wants to achieve with a sports sequel, he has done within five minutes. So is your biggest complaint that we move on from the crease character? Uh, not specific, not specifically that. I mean, we could have, I think we could have conceivably gone on to a different story and just left all that behind. That would have been fine by me. I just don't, I mean, I, I just didn't want this to become, uh, like an actionless version of the seven samurai. <laughs> Which is what it becomes. Um, I just, I, I think, I think the turn it takes. It, I mean, it, again, we've t- we talk about this all the time. You know, the the this trope, this cliche of you know, sequel doesn't have any ideas about where to go next, so they change the locale, they go abroad, right? This, you know, they go to another country, and that's what we do here. Um, and um, to me, the, and we my... were there for the, and we're there for the rest of the movie. There's not even a bit where he comes back at the end. We're there for the rest of the movie. Oh yeah. And nothing particularly about Okinawa excites me at all. I mean, I love a tea ceremony, but as much as the, the next guy, as much as the next guy, I like, I, think, I like, I, a gov- fi- I, I like myself minutes. a good tea ceremony as much as the next guy. But come on, I think, I think a five-minute-long tea ceremony is uh, requires an inhuman amount of patience that I just don't have. <laughs> in in a movie called Let's Not Forget the Karate Kid, that is not the traditional Japanese art I thought I would be watching. Can't disagree with you. <laughs> and I know that. But the crimes, the, the crimes of this movie are only about ten minutes of karate in the first three movies, right? Yeah, combined. But this is particularly egregious because it's replacing it with. Uh, I mean, compared to what the next movie does to make things like gardening exciting, this does not do the same for me. With you know traditional Japanese dance, tea ceremonies, farming. It's just, it's laborious. <laughs> it, it feels like what it is, which is not very interesting. Are you sure that this isn't your your Britishness just leaning in towards your, 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 your lack of patience? You know, your... <laughs> My la- <laughs> like if you, be. if, 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 if your your people can't conquer these people, I don't want to learn anything about them. Is that it? Well, that I mean, colonialism <laughs> is behind everything I say and think. <laughs> too too much so that we can that we, we just can't be specific. We can't you know break it down. We can't keep breaking it down and saying what's colonialism <laughs> behind. You know, it's it's it, that's what it, that the answer is always going to be that. Because I but, remember. So, I remember upon my first viewing of this movie way back, that was one of the things I liked. I liked I liked every little touch of sort of trying to learn about that culture. Right. Even though it's shot in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it kind of, it, 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 my main, you know, I think this would be my, criticism applied to all of these movies is that it promises something that it doesn't deliver and when uh, skipping ahead just a little bit but when when Miyagi and Daniel get kidnapped from the airport in Okinawa yeah, I have a, a la, note a la, do, a la the movie Doctor No yeah um, I really thought I was in for some kind of to basically a Japanese gangster film the the kind of the the fact that that there's a military presence there I thought was going to go somewhere and apart from you know Daniel winning a bet off some uh, GIs that's about it it goes uh, nowhere I agree but I so. you know that I I have a note on that kidnapping my first note was 
man, like hanging out with Miyagi is putting your life in jeopardy an alarming amount of times. <laughs> like, yeah, I and I I like the idea. I I feel like they never they never cat capitalize on the on the genre possibilities of what we're doing here, even to the extent that. Once the story in Okinawa gets going, it's kind of a seven samurai traditional sort of Kurosawa-ish kind of story of uh, bandits and farmers, basically. Right. But even that, it doesn't go anywhere. And as soon as there looks like there's going to be any fighting, a storm hits and fucks everything up. Well, this movie, its biggest problem is within the narrative, but I'm, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I will tell you what I think is the biggest problem for this movie. Fair? Yeah. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back. Tom and I are here talking about the 1986 film, The Karate Kid 2, part two, I should say. So, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another lie. I want to get it right. <laughs> That, well, that's it. No, no. I mean, that's another bait and switch, <laughs> because part two suggests a continuation, and um, we, we basically we have an entirely different story here, uh, disguised right. as a continuation. Well, so let me ask you about that, because you know we had talked in the in our introductory episode, the rankings, we yeah. were talking about. Back to, back to the Future movies, and that's mm. what this this movie reminds me of that series because now we and so you know and I admit your movie's called the Karate Kid Part Two. It's still the Karate Kid, but we're a little bit more focused on Miyagi in this story, like we are yeah. Doc Brown in Back to the Future Three, and I don't yeah. mind that. I mean, we're in Okinawa. We're learning about him, his past, his family, his grievance with another man, if you want to call it, like grievance to the death. It's, yeah, I have to... That in and of itself doesn't bother me. So no, is that... I, that in, I agree. That in and of itself doesn't bother me. The only things I would note about that are, first of all, it made me wonder that if John G. Avildsen directed Rocky II, would it have all been about Mickey? Mm-hmm. Um, and the second part of that is, were you as surprised as I was to find out that Miyagi's father was still alive? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to Pat Morita, who is, you know, who's aging perfectly well. Um, but when you see a man of that age, you don't automatically expect him to have a living father. Although I don't think he was... I don't think he was even 60 years old yet in this movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, maybe he was aging as well as I thought he was. In actual life. So. Oh, yeah, no, in actual know. life, yeah. Um, I don't know how old the but, character but it, it was, was supposed to be. Yeah, it was a little... I mean, obviously, they need to find some some reason that he'd go to, to Okinawa. They've got a bunch of 
bullshit reasons why Daniel has to go with him. Yeah, the, none no, of which makes sense. None of it and all makes of which sense. Are garbled as he gets on the plane. Right, and that's the just... that's where this movie that you know <laughs> that was one of my notes where when he goes to the airport, and this is the thing about Miyagi because Miyagi is constantly looking out for Daniel, and not true. Well, no, but, yeah, but I'm saying he needs, well, just to keep him keep him says, enough to work for him. He, <laughs> he says he is. But so you have this scene in which, you know, Daniel comes to the airport and yeah. he's like, I've got my ticket. And he's like, no, that's for he keeps telling him that you have to stay and it's for your college tuition. <laughs> and then there's always this moment where he just smiles benignly like at his good friend and thinks Daniel's the best. And he goes, OK, come on. <laughs> so in the end, he's always working against Daniel. Yeah. In what working he... against his best interest. Yeah, exactly. And don't think this is the basic. <laughs> I want to I want to tell you something that actually does kind of impress me about these movies is that. The money that Daniel pays for this ticket we follow this trail like it was an episode of The Wire yeah. through the next two movies. I know. We follow this money. This money is possibly the strongest continuing thread. Through line. Yeah, exactly. Through line <laughs> is, is this... You, you, when you hear about this, you think, okay, so Daniel spent all this money. That'll be the end of it. No. Right. No. It becomes extremely important. But if you if, but also when you look at it over that time you realize that that Miyagi's really playing a long game. <laughs> that <laughs> that ends with Daniel buying a bonsai shop for him. <laughs> right. And he's engineered it every step of the way. <laughs> he's it's the long con. Yeah, it's you know? like it's like get you know, uh, Daniel pays for the ticket, then um, Daniel wins the money back. <laughs> I give him his college tuition back. Then he suddenly decides not to go to college and buy me a store because I pretend that I lose my I lost my job. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, but my my point was that, that that it seemed an odd reason for him to go to Okinawa, but I guess there is no good reason and you just have, you know, like... Yeah, it's just to serve the purposes of the of the script. And, and also that's what's bad. Of, uh, later on in the movie, they kind of, they make an equivalence between Daniel losing his father and Miyagi losing his father. I'm like, okay, that's not the same. <laughs> right? You, you, this, you are an old man. You're an old man. <laughs> I lost my <laughs> dad when I was like father. 10. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like it's like the movie is clutching its straws to sort of to kind of um, to make that idea of going to visit his dying father work. Hey, look, this whole series is nothing but clutching its straws. So agreed. Don't tell me that number three does not have some of the biggest clutching its straws you'll ever see in the history of filmdom, my friend. <laughs> no, uh, that's 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 very true. Um, but you know, at least it's not. It's not. Uh, at least the first thing that happens in the movie is they is they get on a plane and go to Japan. <laughs> you know, set in, so, set in L. It's set in in L. A. in a karate class. Okay, so that's already better. <laughs> <laughs> I I I disagree. Kind of. No, I don't really. But. <laughs> So, I don't have a problem with them going to Okinawa. How they get there, how Daniel gets there, like, all of that is suspect and not really great. But, and you're right about it being a trope. Yeah. But I was always okay with it. Uh, I thought it opened up an avenue for their relationship to grow and their friendship to grow and for Daniel to learn more. And at least there is somewhat that in this movie. It's nowhere near the original. And that's a problem with all these sequels is how does Daniel grow as both a person and a student? Mm. And I think he grows the most in this sequel compared to the next sequel. And the next sequel, he fucking regresses, for Christ's sake. But but I think, but that's a more interesting development. I mean, 
it doesn't seem know. true what, to what his is, character. He, it doesn't. It it can't sustain. It doesn't even sustain itself oh, in the movie you, you for longer seri- than ten or fifteen minutes. You are seriously under my underestimating this David Mamet level long con <laughs> that Terry Silver and John Kreese are involved in. <laughs> the smartest guy in the world would fall for all of that. Oh my god! And, but I don't. I what does Daniel learn? What does Daniel learn in this movie? I don't. I don't that I don't understand. The drum punch. <laughs> Well, at least that drum thing paid off because I was tired of fucking seeing it. (laughs) So listen, here's the biggest problem with this movie. Oh, here we go. The biggest problem with this movie. This movie is like an hour and 50, I think, three minutes long. You could have told me it was three years long and I would have agreed with you. (laughs) The biggest problem with this movie is that it has the same scene in the second (laughs) act repeated like a dozen times. Oh, interesting. Starting with getting kidnapped at the airport and then until you get to the final fight, it's this movie is nothing but Sato and his nephew threatening Miyagi and Daniel. And that's all it is. Repeated scenes Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, at a certain point, I was like, get on with it. At another point, I was like, get on a fucking plane. Problem solved. Yeah. But they keep hanging around. His Then his father dies. I'm like, certainly you could get on a plane now. <laughs> yep. But they don't. your objective. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the biggest problem with this movie. That's where this movie is really messy and stupid and not good. Well, I absolutely agree with you that um, while we're on the subject of repeating scenes... I think it's interesting that, uh, and 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 in and of itself, I don't have a problem with it, but the way it's done in the movie, I do. So we have the scene which appears in every single one of these movies, including Next Karate Kid, where the Karate Kid is set upon by his by a gang of his adversaries, mm-hmm. and Miyagi comes in and cleans the floor with them all and saves right. Daniel or what's the name of the other one. Oh, oh my God! You're right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we fa- we failed an exam that we set ourselves. <laughs> you had to learn one thing: the name of the characters. I don't remember. <laughs> you didn't do it. Uh, Hillary Swank. We just okay. know it's Hillary Swank. Yeah, yeah, that's you know. So um, so we have that scene pretty much verbatim as it is in the first movie here but in the highlights reel that begins the movie that we discussed in the previous episode that scene is recapped so they're recapping a recap mm-hmm. um and it just seems it, it seems weird that you would i mean it's not weird that a sequel would plagiarize a scene from the first movie but it's weird that you would put that that scene as the original version of that scene in the sequel so we could both go Hmm. Right. Yeah. That's exactly the same. Yeah. Right. It's in. It's inviting a a, a compar- You know, it's inviting an unfavorable comparison upon itself. That it that you wouldn't. You would just enjoy it as one of the things that happens in these movies. Right. You would just mm-hmm. enjoy it as a trope. But as it is, you're like, you guys have really got to get some new material. Yeah. Right. Um. So. So I don't like this movie when it's trying to be like the original. I don't like this movie when it's trying not to be like the original. (laughs) (laughs) I like virtually nothing uh, about about the movie. Um, Yeah. I like Daniel's new budding love. Kamiko? Yeah, I think she's great. Um, As a character, it's great. I, I, I don't like that her her presence in a scene seems locks us into observing um, full length versions of uh, Japanese traditional rituals like dancing or tea ceremonies. So as soon as you see her on screen, I'm like, oh, we're gonna have to sit through a dance or something now. <laughs> but yeah, she's fine. I mean, I, I 
that's I mean that's the that's the really hard thing to take about these movies is is you know in all their kind of like dating scenes it reminds me how much I really like Ralph Macchio as an actor you know and <laughs> and I've seen him in thing in in stuff since he's in the juice he's very good in that um yeah. I can't wait to see him in Cobra Kai again um but I, I he is so affable and so lovable absolutely you know, he's like it, it's like you know early going back to the Rocky you know the John G. Avildsen Rocky you know John G. Avildsen's really good at those kind of like soft-hearted uh tough guys basically yeah. Like guys who can be tough, but essentially they're just these lovable little kids. Well, so the other thing about this character is he never seems tough, even though he knows things that can hurt people. Yeah, and I I think you know it's it's great, but I'm just like I mean, it's uh, well I mean I guess it's the I guess I have to admit it's the fault of the third film for not uh, continuing that relationship. Because, aha! <laughs> but 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 even though I didn't know that was I di- even though I didn't know Kamiko was going to be in the third movie, I still felt like we were wasting a lot of time on this. Um, really? Yeah. I love Kumiko. I, I there's little moments too, like she's played really well. I love that actress. Yeah, she's great. What's her name? Ta- Ta- Tamlin Tonada, I think. Yeah, she's in Man Man in the High Castle. She's great. Yeah. And there's a moment when they when they're having their tea ceremony and he sits down and he kind of realizes what's happening and he makes a joke. Yeah. And there's a cultural moment there where she said she's like just with a look she kind of says you're being a dick. <laughs> like be respectful of this moment. And you see that wash across his face and I always really like that moment. It's him learning what? about her culture and realizing I I need to be respectful in this moment. I really like hmm. that. Okay. Oh, but, you know, and I, I, I was... I felt like I understood what uh, John G. Avildsen and the writers were trying to say about Japan and its relationship to the U.S. I mean, that's kind of... That's pretty clear. Yeah. It's a... That, I mean... <laughs> aside from the fact that I have a conspiracy theory about Miyagi... There is something similar to the shower scene, which is a little weird about. I mean, so so we're to understand Miyagi is this is a stone cold pacifist, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> at least in principle, yes. I mean, you know, it's like the martial it's it's the sort of martial arts movie trope in of, name only. <laughs> well, it, I mean, you know, kung fu is basically that. It's like I will not fight you, and by the end, he's kicking the shit out of everyone. Right. But it's always in self-defense, at least you know, uh, at least technically. Or in Daniel's but, defense, <laughs> not his but own. But this doesn't. This doesn't seem. You know, this doesn't seem to stop him using Daniel to turn a quick buck at that bar with the ice chop challenge. He's just trying to get Daniel his money back. That's all. <laughs> why why have you defended why are you defending this man so much because <laughs> i love mr miyagi but what kind of lesson is that teaching daniel it's like hey if you're ever in financial strike go and gamble you know exploit exploit <laughs> the knowledge i've given you to uh to cheat money out of a few gis in a bar he also gets to show up sato and his nephew yeah yeah um, so let me ask you about that too, because in each of these movies, in each sequel, yeah. I like the biggest problem is, and it's funny because the the your favorite movie of these sequels, the third one, brings back a villain from the first one, but all the villains in all the movies and, and, a, and, a, and a villain that could have been in the first one, but of course wasn't because right. it's a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Recon. And one that everyone knows and everyone's been talking about just not on screen. Yeah. But uh so all to me all the villains are ridiculous. All the villains are not fully formed. They're not good. They don't compare to the original. But right. well of yeah. the villains I like these two the best. I think they're way better. More yeah, grounded I, I... than than the villains in the se- third and fourth movie. I thought that, you know, that there was a nice twist on the... Uh, 
there's so much doubling that goes on in in this movie so even the like that the only way that i can kind of rationalize having that parking lot rumble at the beginning of the movie is you get is that scene where crease disowns his student Mm -hmm. because we get the reverse of that when sato disowns his student but for dishonor right um so i can see i can see that happening and and that is something we haven't you know the the sets up the possibility that you know that the student can um can uh portray the master or can um i don't know can behave dishonorably when the master well that's the yeah honorably that's that's the thing i found interesting about this movie and that's the why i think i like it the most of the three sequels is because that idea of honor you know sato's been carrying this this grudge and he thinks he's been doing it for his honor for however long it's been 40 years or whatever it's nonsense that all of a sudden, you know, after a storm, he's like, I've been a dick. And you know what I mean? So, but yeah, it is. But I like that this movie plays with the idea of honor and dishonor and what that means to these characters and how it plays out. And it's to me, it's fundamentally more interesting than this revenge nonsense that is just pure fucking melodrama in the third movie. Well, yeah, I, 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 I'm not. I agree with the melodrama bit. And I see that as Good. a pro. Good. Because you know what, you know what melodrama is? Eventful. <laughs> Things happen. There's a plot. I mean, you know, you, you, you alluded to it that you know this, that it's just a repetition of the same scene. It's also they're just trying to put as many obstacles they can in the way of Miyagi fighting right which he never does again in the movie right and it's like i'm gonna fight you but because to save uh, the village to save the village and it's like okay we're gonna have the fight storm happens no fight no fight fight called off yeah (laughs) so basically they got to the point where it's like you know what 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 possible reason could we not have for miyagi to to fight sato and they're like Weather? (laughs) I can't say it's not stupid, but at the same time, you have the role reversal and the nephew takes on the baddie role. And I, I, you know, I liked that guy as an actor. I thought I always thought he was good in that movie. Yeah, I don't think I have any problems with the the performances. I mean, uh, the the nephew is in an unfortunate position because when they arrive at the airport, he says something like, in Okinawa, it, it, it's uh, useful to speak good English. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, it's useful to... Do. <laughs> it's like, I know for a fact in Okinawa, people <laughs> generally don't speak English. Like It's, it's kind of well-known, tr- r- rural Japan, they fucking don't. <sighs> they do in movies where you don't want to bother with subtitles. subtitles. Of course. So he, he always seems a little kind of... And then everyone starts talking to Miyagi in English. It's like you know he's from here, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's a, he 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 kind of he's got a lot of ADR issues, uh, not as many as <laughs> the ADR issues in the third movie. Are, yes, are thank you. Are very problematic. But there's a there's a hint of it here because you get oh this weird thing where the Japanese actors are talking in English and dubbed in English. So that they're being dubbed, but they're still talking in English. Right. Just, it's just that it's just a weird convention of the movie. I don't disagree. All right, we're gonna take another break, and when we come back, we will finish up with Karate Kid Part Two. Right after this. Honk. <laughs> If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, 
Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we are back again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing finishing up the Karate Kid Part 2... Tom really doesn't like this movie. Uh, you know what? You know what? I'm going to be perfect. I'm putting up a good front, but you are making some salient points about what I initially considered to be a complete waste of time, which is the Okinawa section of this movie. That's the whole fucking movie. That's the whole fucking movie. Yeah, but I'm starting to see that in pockets, it's not so bad. I just think I just think if it had gone where. I assumed it was going. Um, it would have been, in so many ways, it would have been a much better movie. I think once, I mean, I've alluded to it already. Once we get to that tea ceremony, you know, five minutes worth of tea ceremony and less than that of karate. You can't call this movie The Karate Kid and that be the case. Yeah. It should be called The Tea Ceremony Kid for as much as, you know, as much karate as there is in the movie. I will take the last fight of this movie over anything else in any of the other sequels, though. Okay. Even though I don't think it's great. <laughs> but it, but isn't this isn't this again like isn't this Rocky Five all over? I mean, all isn't this? <laughs> no, it's where they are, Tom. They're in Okinawa. There's not a <laughs> there's not an all valley championship in I'm Okinawa. Not, look, the 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 the, the choice the wrong choice was going to Okinawa. Don't you... You are saddled with this, okay? <laughs> you find a fucking downtown Okinawa karate tournament if you're going to go to Okinawa. That's your problem, John G. Avelson. It's not my problem that you went to Okinawa. I disagree completely. This movie does the one thing that you're supposed to do in a sequel, which is raise the stakes. This fight is supposed to be for your life. It doesn't end up being that. Of course, we have the honk come back. <laughs> so, but all I, that. I love that. I love that every every argument you have defending this movie <laughs> just falls apart. Like at the end, it's like. <laughs> I don't think it completely does fall apart, though, because the reason it no, doesn't... your arguments do. But how the, dare you? No. <laughs> it does not completely fall apart because we're dealing with. Daniel LaRusso. He's the one having the fight. His value system says, I will not kill this man. So live or die, man. Your choice. Die. Wrong. Just doing what his master taught him. Honk. Hmm. But And that stays in line how, with his but, character. So so you like you like the fact that Rocky Five doesn't end in a boxing match, but ends in a in a street fight. I, you're you're guy. saying that's apples to apples. I'm saying it's apples to a Buick Century. <laughs> I, I don't equate Rocky Five with. Are this they movie. our new sponsors? Where did that come from? <laughs> I, I just I I don't see Rocky Five zero percent interest. <laughs> I don't see it comparable to this movie at all. And but, I but hate that he, Rocky Five say, ends in the street. Miyagi says, even says, it's not a tournament; it's real. Yeah, that's the whole, the whole idea behind Rocky Five subtitle. There's no fights. 
That's the same. That's like that's the uh, just the same John G. Avildsen sequel bullshit. I can agree with that. <laughs> but the, but I don't. But it's the least offensive of all these sequels to me. You really think this is better than? It was like I think actual, it's way. Actual... I think it. I think it is way better than the end of. Karate Kid the next Three. Karate Kid. I agree with you. No, no. <laughs> no, you said it. I did not. I finished your sentence. I was interrupted. <laughs> I think it's way better than the Karate Kid aerobics done at the end of Karate Kid Three. Well, I, I guess I, I, I. Okay, so even if you do like the sequence, and in essence, I don't. It's like. Two or three moves at most, okay, that we see in this movie. There is, I mean, three has just more karate in, basically. I mean, that's that's a fact. That's a statistical fact. But also, you know, there's a there's a there's a through line. I mean, this is just like, uh, it comes out of nowhere. Like we're gonna fight now, so we've had no we've had no fucking training, right? This is a mid eighty sports movie that doesn't have a training montage. No montage, but we have And no training. There is oh, a training point? moment. There are training moments. That, he oh, apart from Miyagi saying it's not a tournament, it's real, what what is the training moment? Well you have them in the dojo. You have I mean really there's just like one scene of them kind of it does look like kind of like what's from three, the the kata. Which is mm. looks I call it the karate oh, aerobics. That's true. Yeah, no. I'll, so I'll you have you that, that moment, and then they go yeah. to the the pier. Oh, you're right. And you're he right. learns the drum technique. I love the one thing I love about these movies too is whenever Daniel learns something, that Miyagi says, "If you do it right, it cannot be defended," and somebody always defends it. So in the first movie, he learns the crane technique, which the baddie in this movie just says, Psh, "Fuck you." <laughs> what are what are Miyagi's credentials uh, is that ever established taught by his fisherman father because well, well da- <laughs> daniel <laughs> meets I'm, I, I'm trying to think because he's he's not he doesn't run a karate class no when daniel meets him he's the the super of the building right yes Well, so, this is where the, there's there's plenty of racism to go around in, this, anyone in these movies into, as well. Has anyone looked into Miyagi's, you know, training? Like, what? <laughs> isn't his training self-evident? He brought that kid to the All Valley Tournament Championship. Oh, Dan, I think Daniel did that for himself. Get the fuck out of here! No, I think he's he's <laughs> he's just he's just playing. You know, he's like Daniel. Daniel's figuring it all out. Um, cause he's a, he's a smart kid and Miyagi's there going, I'll, you know, I'll throw enough Zen sayings his way to make him think I'm a karate master. Oh, and then, you're and then I'll, I'll set, then I'll set a motion in plan to stop him going to college and giving me his college tuition. Listen, I am all... look In a way that makes it look like I gave him the money. <laughs> I'm all for laying into Mr. Miyagi for sport. But now your hatred is tipped over into an inappropriate line, sir. He is teaching that boy. What do you What do you think of ending the movie without anyone having learned anything, and just the victory moment? Do you think that works here in the way it did in the first movie? No. No. Of course not. That's a problem that we're ending on that moment because there's so much left unresolved. There. Um. I mean, all of this is a tangent anyway Mm -hmm. but i mean i think i don't know i don't know if by that point it would have redeemed the movie at all to to see them going back to america and i i mean i don't know what they yeah what are you looking for like them on the plane discussing what they learned (laughs) (laughs) well that's it i don't know i don't know what i mean it's it's a it's just a a vacation where the only person with an arc happened. the only person with an arc in this movie is Sato who yes, does, who, who has a, a full kindness recovery 
<laughs> he goes, yeah, he goes from, you know... Uh, he goes a, from a 100 bond, to 0. <laughs> he goes from a Bond villain to, you know, uh, Miyagi's pacifist equal. Uh, there is, big... Yeah, and there's a line at one point when, when he comes back after the storm and he's giving the deed of the village back and he's going to help them. And he says, uh, you know, Sato says something like, you know, please accept my apologies. And, and Miyagi says, oh, Sato, nothing to forgive. And I'm like, yeah, there is. There's a fucking lot of shit for to forgive. Sato's been, been fucking doing some bad shit. Yeah. And he I mean, should I guess, be apologizing, I, but. I guess, you know, the, the, the honks, well, we've talked about this. The honks are the arc of the movie. Yeah. It kind of brings everything full circle. It implicitly if not in reality justifies having that opening scene because you know with without if you without the two honks to kind of sew the movie together you could conceivably begin this movie in japan or on the plane right because literally nothing happened nothing else of significance happens in america i suppose you'd have to explain why no like everything else Miyagi's kidnapped Daniel, but yeah. you know everything that isn't, that isn't well explained anyway. Everything at the beginning of this movie is only there to to answer the questions you would have if we started it later. What's his mom doing? What does she think of him going to Japan? Where's his girlfriend? Like yeah. they're all just sort of the nitpick questions, and that's the, that's just the way they decided to handle that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, I, uh, <laughs> I did. I mean, I like, I, I can see, I, and again, I like, it's something that in the abstract, I kind of appreciate. I appreciate when sequels pay off something from the original movie that's left hanging. But here it feels like ticking boxes, like, he catches the fly. Um, he beats up Crease in the parking lot, uh, but saves his life. You know, all those... It just feels like... Um, there's a line, I think, about... I don't know if it's midway through the movie. It's difficult to tell where this movie's midway is. Um, <laughs> it so, seems so fucking long. One of the but, many, uh, many, many, many threatening scenes. But F- Fight but I think or it, you're I think in trouble. During, I think it's during one of those training moments that you didn't think Daniel was in there. Says, oh, <laughs> that I didn't think was in there, which is why I forgot until now. Um, he says, "I guess that's why I won the tournament." Uh huh. And I'm like, I'm like, there's got to be a better way dramatically to. I like that idea. I like that that he keeps training him. That he doesn't fully realize the significance of what he's achieved and why he's achieved it. Uh, but. It's not like a life lesson that he learns. I think it's just Miyagi saying, uh, I don't know, like, um, you weren't aggressive or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's why I won the tournament. It's like, that line of dialogue is depressingly <laughs> literal, <laughs> you know? For what what you could have done with that idea of, like... Um, oh, there's lots of stuff in this movie left on the table. You got... A little dash of American imperialism that just, you know, goes away and never referred to again. Did I mean, we, we talked about like Rocky Five deja vu. Did you also feel a little bit of Rambo First Blood Part Two deja vu in the scenes with Kamiko? No, not really. Okay. Because when the, when the helicopter was in the background. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know what with, you're saying, I, I also, but. I was, I was worried for a second that she was going to get knocked off. <laughs> at one point, I mean, she, her, you know, she, her, she's threatened at several points. That's in, true in this movie by, by Sato's nephew. And you know, I appreciate structurally all the doubling and doppelgangers, and you know, the Miyagi's Miyagi's romance echoes Daniel's romance. But again, you know, it's too much of that false equivalency. Like he's meeting Kimiko for the first time as a teenager. This is not the woman he's loved all his life. Well, and the other thing about... And hasn't seen for 50 years. Well, and the, it's funny you say about, you know, Miyagi's love interest because, you know, it's 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 as though Daniel 
learned from him because, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, Daniel, man, once a woman leaves his life, she's forgotten forever. And, of course, his love interest doesn't come home with him. No. Well, she but and she specifically says, take me with you at at some point during this movie. And he does not. And that's never referred to or talked about in another one of the sequels. Oh, it is. When? They, de- they deal with they deal with Kumiko at the beginning of. Oh no, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about Kumiko. I'm talking about Miyagi's love interest. Right. Yes. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. That that is left hanging in the air. I totally. Completely. But I thought I uh, well, but but maybe I really got the sense that well, this is this is like a there's a cl- lots of classic junctures in sequels where there are like two alternative roads that they can take Mm -hmm. and and one of the roads would be to double down on okinawa and to have kamiko go forward to have further you know both romances go somewhere and carry over into the next film and i get the sense that they're 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 keeping that option open of course the first thing that the next movie does is is alien three everything oh yeah um <laughs> and nicks it all just, it, it's inter- it's interesting to me it's like it it's sort of when you when you when you watch sequels back to back you begin to see um you know the road not taken and sure. here i think i think there is a path for these stories to continue um but we go you know, we do a, a 360 reverse in the opposite direction. And it's just interesting. And that happens so often in film series. Sure. Um, to just like, it's, you know, base, it's it's implicitly, the beginning of Karate Kid 3, although it doesn't um, take Okinawa out of canon, it might as well do that. Because it's, it, it it's admitting everything we did there was kind of a mistake. <laughs> that's the feeling I get. Maybe that's why I like Karate Kid Three. Yeah, so that is not I, the I feeling agree, I get, my friend. I agree entirely with its founding principles. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Well, we are never going to agree on this, La- listeners. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to maybe settle this bet for us. Tell us what you think. We have hashed out Karate Kid 2 as much as we can. Up next is Karate Kid 3. I'm going to wipe the floor with you on that one, Tom. I can't wait to hear why you like this movie so much. It's such a piece of shit. I don't know why. I I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to sit down on a Sunday afternoon and watch this movie. (laughs) I'm serious. Because I have common sense. If... This I feel I feel like you know if I was to get a root karate, canal, to have my balls cut off. <laughs> I am I I am to be bloodletted. I am perplexed about what agonizes you about this movie, because even the bad things in it are, are are fun. This movie's no fuck. This movie's no fucking fun. I disagree. I feel like I feel like I w- I went to Okinawa and went on the most boring uh, tour that they offer <laughs> of that island. Get the fuck out of here! Like, it's like it's like oh, by the way, there's gangsters and a big conglomerate over there. We're not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> over <laughs> over here, there's like GIs in a bar and a rock and roll dance. We'll see that for about a minute, and then we'll go and do a tea ceremony for twenty minutes. This tea ceremony keeps growing in your mind. It goes from three minutes to five minutes to twenty minutes. You are full of shit. Listen to me. Honestly, you could have told you could have told me <laughs> that an hour had passed, and I would not have said anything. Why? 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 Why is that the least edited sequence in the movie? <laughs> anyway. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a Prozac. Please. And, uh, <laughs> see you on the next one, people. <laughs> Go ahead and settle this bet for us, everyone, please. I know I'm right. Tom, I think you're a man on an island by yourself on this one. We'll find out. Ladies and gentlemen, please find the Everything Sequel podcast on 
Facebook, find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter, and let us know what you think about Karate Kid Part 2. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail. Please rate and review us. It really helps. For Tom Stewart, the British badass. My name is Michael Schantz. (laughs) We'll be talking to you soon when we talk about Karate Kid Part 3. Say goodbye, Tom. The best sequel in the series is coming up, as Mike said. Karate Kid 2. I'm telling you this. It justifies its part three. No. Karate Kid 2. This is... It's the best around. Nothing's ever gonna take you down. Bye. (laughs) 